Thank you for listening to Truth in Life, a concise Christian belief series. This class was taught on a Sunday morning at Christ the Word Church because we believe that God's Word is truth and that His truth should shape our lives. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Okay, be seated, please. You see a, um, a reflection of the church's past in the fact that the, uh, the title is still called, as it would be in the Latin, Gloria Patri, and the, uh, the text has been translated into English, you know, but probably if you'd gone to a Roman Catholic church before uh, the 60s, before Vatican II, before the, the last, uh, the last um, as the Roman Catholics call it, the... Um, yeah, no, but, you know, like Nicaea, uh, uh, Constantinople, what? Council. Council, council, yeah. Vatican II was the last council of the Roman Catholic Church. It was in the 60s, and they got rid of the Latin Mass there. So they went away from the, what they called the Tridentine Mass to, um, to vernacular Masses, which was, of course, a move that the Protestants had made 450 years before, and it was an essential move, you know. That is a principle that all alive religion, all alive Christianity is not done in the language of someone else. It's done in our language so that we know God and we speak to God rather than watching someone perform in a language we don't know. So, and, and yet even today, if you go to certain parts of the Catholic Church in America, <clears throat> probably Holy Trinity would have some people down the road because it's probably the most conservative Catholic church in this whole diocese. Um, you'll find people who are fighting, who would maybe not fight, but who would prefer a return to the Tridentine Mass, the Latin Mass, because they view it as being holy. And, uh, and so actually Vatican II did many good things in the Roman Catholic Church that brought it towards, well, an alive view of God. And, uh, and things that, but um, in the Catholic Church in America, the conservatives who are against abortion and many good things also want to go back. They see it as part and parcel to the Tridentine Mass and all this stuff. And so it's this sort of hopeless conglomeration of ex opere operato views that the Mass itself is better in it. And if you do it in the Latin, the original, you're more blessed by it, you know, the, the, the actual languages. It's kind of a little bit like the King James only people who say if you, Jordan, <laughs> tell people about this, okay? Uh, there's a, uh, a view in the fundamentalist, typically Baptist um, domain, whatever view that uh, says the translation of scripture into the Old English in 1611 is the un, uh, is the purest form of the Word of God, and so any deviation, any jot or tittle deviation from the Old English King James. translation is blasphemous, and uh, it cannot be trusted in the entirety. And they would actually say if you were, at some point, some of them would say that if you weren't saved by the King, eight, six, by the King James, you're not saved, you know. 
Well, that's very much like Roman Catholicism, conservatism says if you don't have the Latin mass, you don't have really the work of God. All right, um, this morning we're, we're going to look at the Trinity one more time, looking at it um, in terms of the, the classic heresies, the classic attack on the Trinity, which has always come under the person of whom? Not you. <laughs> I know you know. <laughs> Who has, where has the point of attack on the Trinity always come? Jesus. Why? And I mean, a lot of people like argue that Earth was truly God. What's that? That he was like fully God and fully God. Okay, a lot of people argue against the deity of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and therefore, it has been the flashpoint throughout history of the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, I've said and I still say that we're in a different age. And now everyone accepts the deity of Jesus Christ, they just deny the authority of the Father and of the Godhead all told. And so there's new thinking that needs to be done about the Trinity. You know when the Puritans came over, they were sent over by their pastor who didn't come in the first boats in the Mayflower. And he said goodbye to them on the shore in Antwerp, wasn't it? They left from Antwerp. And uh, he's a great pastor. You, you read his works and you, he, was, he was really a godly guy. But as he sent them over, he said to them, he said, look, don't think that God has revealed all truth yet. Just as he said, Luther and Calvin looked at the word of God and brought forth things from it that were true that had been missed. He said, God will do this with you. Never stop looking for God's truth in God's word. He said, if you stop with Luther and Calvin, you will not be the, the people you need to be. You need to go further in looking at the Word of God and saying, what does it say? What does it say to me? What does it teach? And this has to be our attitude as we, as we think we're, we're facing things that are kind of unprecedented today in terms of attacks on Christianity. And it calls for thinking in ways that Augustine and others didn't have to because they weren't facing the circumstances we face today. But classically, the point of attack on, on the Trinity has been the Son. Arians have denied his deity. Uh, oh, what was the name of the group that, that denied his humanity? What? Uh, the Essenes, no, it's, it, yeah, no, they were more a Jewish holy sect, you know. Um, it's a heresy, and, and uh, it's, it's in my head, but it's not coming out. Matthew? No? Anyone? Nathan? Sarah? Okay. At the same time that they, what'd you say? No, that's a little different, but weird. Yeah. Um, ha, 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 I've got it. it. Anyway, at the same time, at the very same time that Gregory was defending against the Arians in the 380s and 360s, he was also realizing these people on the other side and that, that whatever they are, okay, the, that they were teaching that Jesus was entirely God and just had a kind of uh, a divine flesh or something like that, you know? And they had this view that was Jesus. And as he went along, he had been fighting the Arians who said he's not God. But towards the end, he was fighting the other side just as fiercely that said he's just man or, or just God. And, the, and he said this, this famous statement that what is not 
taken up in Christ is not redeemed. Okay? And the point was, if he's not taking up our souls, our bodies, everything that makes us, but he's dying in our place, uh, if he's not exactly like us, he is not redeeming us. He is not us able to be our head and the one who dies for us and then federally that coming to us. And so Gregory said, what is not taken up is not redeemed. What is not? And he said, he has to be fully man. Now, as we go into this last week, I want to I wanna begin t talking about the deity of Jesus Christ by telling you a story I've probably told before. But uh, when I was in college, I was, I was very open to denying Christianity. Um, and over the years of my being in college, God protected me at certain points from things that would have been deadly. One of those was a, uh, a professor who, who was a former Lutheran pastor, Calvin Retzel, I'll never forget it, who looked like the picture-perfect pastor, older pastor. Wise, kind, a twinkle in his eye. You know the kind of guy that they put in a movie as a good pastor? You know, old movies? I mean, he was the picture-perfect guy. And uh, he taught this class, and he never said anything. He'd never speak like I speak or like many of us speak, you know, like, rah, rah, rah. He just would suggest things, you know. And um, in the class, he kept saying, you know, We've put things on Jesus. Jesus never really claimed to be the Son of God. No, we put this on him. It's our, our insistence on it. It's not, it's not something Jesus said. And I thought, that was stupid. You know, I mean, I'd grown up in the church. I had, and I thought to myself, yeah, I don't remember Jesus saying, I'm the Son of God. You know what I mean? And I started buying into it, but for some reason, that year or the next year in seminary, because I was drinking, I was not following God at all. I had no desire to follow God, but I started reading the Gospel of John. And uh, at some point in college, even <laughs> I was reading the Gospel of John. Any of you read the Gospel of John recently? Yeah. What, what stands out, Carter, in the Gospel of John? And Jesus throughout it is saying, I and the Father, you know, are one. And I read through this, and you know, what, you know what I said to myself? I said, I think this is what we have to say when we have people like this in our lives. I said, he's a liar. He's a liar. He lied to me. You know, I, I can remember the shock even now that I read the Bible and Jesus said thing after thing about, I am God. You know, it was just so clear even to a guy who wanted to say he wasn't going to believe in God. Because in that point, you know, in those days, I was wanting to say I was an atheist. I wrote a friend who's now a good Christian guy who became a Christian, an old high school friend. And he wrote all his friends in high school and said, I've become a Christian. And he was happy to write me because he had known of me as being a Christian in high school. I wrote him back and said, well, I'm now an atheist. It, you know, that was what a fool I was. I mean, you know, and, and yet when I saw that in, in John, I said, that was a lie. And no one could ever again tell me that Jesus didn't claim to be the Son of God. You know what I mean? Because I read it for myself, and I had that guy's voice in my head. And I remember, by the time I got to the end of it, I went, how could he say that? You understand what I'm saying? How could a pastor say, 
that Jesus never claimed to be the Son of God. Well, you know what it taught me? I mean, it, it taught me that there were evil men and evil pastors. You, you, am I making sense? Why would he deny it? It's so clear. So this morning we're talking about Jesus as God. And, and honestly, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit. This is in part by design of Bob, part by the way the systematic theology that Bob did this on is, is written. Um, but the linchpin of Trinitarian doctrine, the actual Trinity, is Christ. Okay, If you accept that Christ is God, but a distinct person from the Father, fully God, well then, it's not much of a jump to add the Holy Spirit in there because there's a great deal of evidence for the Holy Spirit, but we deal with this question through Christ. Does that make sense? So we don't go on and deal. It's like if you've changed one tire on the car to learn how to change a tire, you don't have to do all four, right? You know after one. And that's how it is with, with Christ and the Trinity. Establish the Trinity, the divine human nature of Christ, and you have, um, and you've done it for the whole Trinity. Now, we, we are not arguing for the humanity of Christ. Why are we not arguing for the humanity of Christ? Because it's not a common heresy uh, the, the, today. Apollinarianism, that's it, Apollinarianism, okay? <laughs> Apollinarianism, Apollina which says that Jesus was entirely God and just appeared to man, it, it's, not an, it's not a healthy heresy today. <laughs> you know, you're not going to find it cropping its head up and shouting at you. You're going to find Arianism, you're going to find every deviation in the other direction around you, but you're not going to find Apollinarianism today. And what is the most significant reason that people, that Apollinarianism, the thing that it's had to overcome that has been just sort of deadly to it? What do you think? What's deadly to Apollinarianism? The idea that Jesus was not man. Yeah, he died. You know, if you accept Christianity at all, it says that Jesus died. You know, and so you have to, you have to deal with the fact of his death. And it, it's so clear that, um, that it really isn't a, a popular heresy today, and it, it never had the weight that Arianism and the other, that it, the other heresies that attacked his deity had. Okay, so we're, gonna, we're going to focus on the claims, and in specific, of the, the Trinitarian claim that the three persons are fully God. All right, and we're going to be focusing on that through Jesus Christ. So we have the deity of the Father, which is, as Augustine said, uh, the deity of the Father is unassailable. You know, no one's questioning the deity of the Father, but, <laughs> but today everyone's questioning that deity is Father. You know, patriarchy, which is glory be to the, the Gloria Patri. You saw there the root of patriarchy, which is the fatherhood of God, right? And I'm talking linguistically, etymologically, of the word patri, father. That is the root of our word father. That has been. So father's name is the root of our name for father. But I'm also talking ontologically, that all fatherhood comes from God. All right? That, and, and thus, G.K. Chesterton, in one of his books that are 
pastors, college guys say they're not enjoying, which they should be shot for, okay? <laughs> he says, that, I don't know if it was in the book you read. He says that the, um, no, it's not Chesterton, it's another one of the Inkling authors, but he says that at the, at the I think it was George MacDonald, says that fatherhood is at the bleeding center of the human race. In other words, that the very essence of thing is the fatherhood of God, and everything derives from that. And it's true. But now we're looking at the deity of the Son, and we're, we're going to be assuming the deity of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, if no one believes in deity at all, then, then uh, he's going to have a low view of Christ. And actually, you can, you can do the commutative principle of arithmetic with it, which means 2 plus 3 equals 5, and 3 plus 2 equals 5, or 5 equals 3 plus 2, you know. And uh, you can turn this around and say, if you have a low view of Christ, then you have a low view of deity as well, right? So anyone who, who speaks about uh, Christ with a low view of Christ doesn't really fear God, you know? But if they say they fear God, or if they, if they say they honor Christ, he was great, he was great, but their entire view of the Godhead is that, well, it's, it's weak. You know, it doesn't get its way, but it tries. It wants, but it's foiled, you know? Well, then that's going to translate into a low view of Christ. And this is, this is not just outside the church. You know, the, when I came to Toledo, the church I was in had people who, um, well, uh, I remember the lady, I, I absolutely loved her, who said this to me. She was one of the great women I've known in my lifetime. And, and uh, I mean, I loved her. And she really, I think, Gary and I would say that she came alive. She'd say it. She came alive. She, her father had been the pastor of that church 30 years before, but she came alive during our time there. And when she died right as Christ the Lord was being formed, and she said to Gary and me, you two have been the only pastors I've had in my life. It was the best compliment I've ever gotten. I'll, I'll never forget it. Dolores. But I remember the first Sunday I was in church, and I was in a Sunday school class, and I was trying to get to know the people. And I said, when did you become a Christian? She looked at me and she said, well, which time? I've become a Christian four times. Now, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, this Calvinist-Arminian debate on the sovereignty of God really has implications. Because if she's become a Christian four times, she doesn't know God. And it's not a work of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? And, and that's why I think she said at the end, that she, we had been the first pastors because we said to her, no, God is great. And if he saved you, he saved you. And, if he, and so I would say in the evangelical world, the idea that you can be saved but left in a very bad place spiritually. What's being taught in our former denomination? That you can be saved, but you're still homosexual and you'll have to fight that your whole life. You know, these kinds of things are, are not little benign thoughts low down on the totem pole of importance, but they're attacks on God, attacks on Jesus Christ and what he's doing. And so we actually have reason to, to go through this and say, Jesus is God. And if we are made one with God, one with Christ, and if we are a new creation and he lives us in us and we live in him, He's God. God does not 
does not coexist with Satan in a person. Now, Satan attacks and Satan does things, but there's many implications to this, this doctrine we're talking about. Am I making sense about the importance of this doctrine everywhere that Jesus is God? All right. Uh, okay. Okay, there's scriptures that just assume we're going to deal with this and you're going to be offended at first. All right. So don't get offended because we'll come to what you want. But as Bob did it, he started with the thing that kind of gets you frustrated. Okay? Jesus is a deity. We're going to make arguments for the deity of Jesus. Well, Scripture assumes his deity. Now, you're saying to yourself, what are you saying right now? Okay, Andrew, what are you saying? Oh, you're not saying anything. All right. Uh, Isabel, are you paying attention or are you nursing the baby? Uh, <laughs> What are you saying to yourself as I say this? Nothing? Okay. What are you saying, Nathan? I would say that it does exist. Yeah, I, I went, Bob, you know, as I was going through his notes and I, the first time. Let's not start with assuming. The Bible declares, you know. Declares. Start with declares. No, he starts with assumes. But he does get there. <laughs> okay. But it's important to see how many different varieties of scriptural evidence for Christ's deity there are, okay? And Bob has done a great job on this, okay? Okay, so look, there is what's called, is this Bob's word? Yeah, I, 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 I didn't really look at it, how it would be presented to you when I was going through these. Egocentric. What's that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a little bit like the G slash D, isn't it, of a few weeks ago. Egocentric simply means to be focused on yourself, okay? To be focused on yourself, and, and thus, when I talk about my experience of Jesus, I'm being somewhat egocentric, because it doesn't mean exactly proud, although we often think of being egocentric as proud. So the egocentric teaching of Jesus that assumes his deity, all right? And that's, that is assuming his deity. So we have three persons are God. A, taking Jesus' deity for granted. Scripture that assumes his deity but does not assert it. And then we have, okay, as a subcategory, the egocentric teaching of you. Blessed are you when you are persecuted on my account. Okay, well, does that, is that an assumption of deity? You know, I could imagine Donald Trump saying that, couldn't you? <laughs> okay. What's that? And we would say that's egocentric. And we would say that's egocentric of him, yeah. Okay, so, uh, and yet there is also, you understand, there is some assumption of his authority in there that is real, isn't it? Do you, under, you understand what I'm saying? So having admitted that it's not conclusive, we also have to say, but it's an elevated view of himself, isn't it? All right? So then we go on. I have not come to abolish the law. Well, what's egocentric about this? But what is an a, a assumption of deity? Okay? But is it? Because it's kind of not, if you have it in context, it's not. If you start at the beginning of Matthew and know that. Yeah, I'm not claiming it's egocentric in a bad way. I'm saying this is, the, egocentric means it's Jesus teaching about himself. 
Okay, it's not proud in any way. When we joked about Donald Trump being, if we, he said that, it would be it's because he's not God. Okay, he, you know, but, but Jesus in his teaching here, he's being, he's talking about himself, which is egocentric. I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. So what in that is assuming deity? Yeah, I have not come to do this. So you go. I have not come to Toledo to destroy the city. Yeah, and you go. <laughs> Who do you think you are? Okay, it's a claim. There's a there's a certain hubris to this. I have not come. Who could abolish the law and the prophets? Maybe Moses, you know, because he God came. But you've got to be at least on the level of Moses to make a claim like that, right? Because Moses is the giver of the law, all right? So, and then you have, when he finished these words, the crowd were amazed at his teaching. Now, this is it's just a statement about his teaching. For he's teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. What a great, great passage that is. He, he had authority, okay? He's, this is not him teaching about himself. It's inherent. They look at him and they say, whoa, everything he does is authority. And it's against the authorities, the religious authorities of their day. And they're saying, whoa, there's authority here. And that's a, that's a cool thing, isn't that? I, I think that's one of the greatest statements about Jesus and his teaching and his, his character. Wherever he went, there was a gravity. I'm not saying he wasn't fun. I'll bet you he was great fun to be with, you know. Um, but he had a, when he spoke, the whole world listened. Wow. All right. Egocentric teaching of Jesus. And then we go to, uh, all right, I'm going to, uh, uh, we'll continue on. Nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Jesus says that, all right? Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I'm realizing the time. Egocentric. I am, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am, okay? You understand? Follow me. These are claims inherently, implicitly claims to deity they're not it's not saying i'm god but uh, you know who else but god can say many of these things negative evidence all right jesus never says oh i was wrong oh i'm sorry oh this or that how many times in life do you have to say you're sorry if you're actually living the way if you're being honest about what you do how many of you would have to have had to say i'm sorry a couple times today to someone this morning yeah well, I didn't, yeah, I mean, but, but just straight up, I'm sorry, you know, that wasn't right. Jesus never, ever had to say it, and his disciples worshipped him, so they never saw him do it. Now, they were offended by him at times, but never in the way that I offend many people in my life, because I'm just selfish, All right? Never, he never explains himself. Uh, we have the Apostle Paul. He says, my apostleship came through Jesus Christ, an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. See, putting them on the same level, Apostle Paul. If I'm now seeking the favor of people or of God, am I striving to please people? If I'm still trying to please people, I wouldn't be a bondservant of Christ. So he's equating, it's very clear, Jesus with the Father. All right, let's move on. Salutations, uh, yeah, grace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Benedictions, 
Of only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. All right? Grace of our Lord Jesus. All right, we're moving on. And we're coming to be Christ the covenant Lord. Christ standing in the place of God the Father as Lord of the covenant, claiming privileges and position that could only be the, the one of those of the one on the side of the covenant that's establishing the covenant of salvation with mankind, the one who made his covenants with Abraham, the one who, who is the covenant maker. Okay, so he is standing in the place of God in that. Jesus is the Lord. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord. Believe in your heart that God, okay, Jesus is the Lord, Lord of the covenant. This is my blood of the covenant, which is being poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy. He is the Lord of the covenant, the Lord that established the covenant with man. It's always a covenant. It's between a great Lord and someone lesser. In the olden days, that's what it was. Even in marriage, there's an authority relationship in the covenant. It's implicit in covenant that there is authority on one side. Okay, Christ the covenant Lord. Jesus silences his critics. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. That's God speaking to the Son. Asked how Christ, the Messiah, the Son of David, could also be David's Lord, right? Remember he says that? Jesus asks that? We're going to see that. All right. He is the Lord of the covenant. All right. The Lord is our righteous. I will raise up for David a righteous branch. Okay, Jeremiah says this. And this is the name by which he'll be called, the Lord, God. the, the, The personal name of God, Yahweh. Our righteousness, the Son. That's a prophecy. All right? Do you start to see the evidence for the, how, how much evidence? Uh, New Testament writers cite Old Testament passages that speak of God by his personal name, the Father's, the God's name, Yahweh, and refer those to Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord. Do you know that? Of the Lord. They're saying, hey, that's him. That's Jesus. All right. Um, okay, I'm going to move on. Because we got 11 minutes. Okay. Now, the term son of God can also be used for, for human beings. So if you're a child of God today, what does the Bible say you are? If you love the Lord Jesus, you're a son of God. You know, and this is... This is an interesting thing. There's no giving in marriage. There's no receiving in marriage in heaven. Um, And some of the structures that we see on earth will kind of disappear in heaven. Um, And we're we're all going to be sons of God in heaven. Even those of you who are women. The Bible doesn't speak of God having daughters. Every one of us is a son of God in his view. In earth, there's these distinctions. It seems that there's some way in heaven that they are not the same. Um, Jesus fulfills the role of Adam. He is the Son of God who came to be man and and to do what Adam did not do, to lead his race into righteousness. He speaks of his father. He says, Whoever is ashamed of me and of my works in this adulterous... It should be O-U-S. And sinful generation of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. 
So he's attaching himself to God. Okay. Sonship emphasizes that relationship, three persons and the Messiah. All right. Messiah means, what's the Greek word for Messiah? Christus, Christ. Okay, so Christ and Messiah are both the same in different languages, and they both mean anointed. Thank you. Anointed with oil, the prophets, the priests, the kings. The Jewish expectation of the Messiah was of a royal figure, a descendant of David, who would liberate Israel from Rome. Okay, no, that's not true. The expectation of his day. The overall Jewish expectation was not so certain that it was going to be a liberation from Rome. It was of a Messiah who would be God. Expected far more than a political deliverer. So when Jesus claimed to be God in the presence of the high priests and said, you have spoken it. You know, are you the son of God? I charge you. You have said it, he says. Are you the son of the living God? When he acknowledged that, it was a turning point in Judaism. Because at that point, they had to acknowledge him as the Messiah, which meant acknowledging him as God. Right? Because... It's all through the Old Testament. The Messiah is God. Look right there. It's right there, you know. And I, they had to either acknowledge that. Okay, but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. These men knew these prophecies. When they said to Jesus, you are not, you are blaspheming to the cross, you know. From that point on, Israel turned away from the Messiah. And even today, the Messiah is no longer the Messiah that's taught in the Old Testament. He's some kind of political deliverer if they even believe in it at all. And the only ones, in, the only Jews today who have any hope at all in a Messiah are who? What's that? Well, no, no, there are, okay, yeah. But um, I, I call them Christians, because I don't think it's true to call them Messianic Jews. They didn't call themselves that in the first century. They called themselves Christians. You know what I'm saying? So if they became Christians, they, they, they were quickly kicked out by the Jewish. They couldn't go to the synagogues. They were Christians, and they didn't follow the patterns of the Jews. So I wouldn't, I, I don't want to call them that. I think that Messianic Jews are often following something that's a little bit legalistic rather than being being true Christians. Um, but uh, I would say that, well, it's clear that the only Jews who actually, yeah, the only Jews who actually believe in a Messiah are the, the Lubavitchers, the ultra-Orthodox who live in like Crown Heights, Queens, who you see in, at times at the Wailing Wall with long robes. But even those Jews no longer believe in a Messiah of, Actually, they believed, many of them, that the Rebbe, the, uh, the Lubavitcher leader in New York who died about a decade ago, who had been the famous leader of the Orthodox Jews for most of his life, they, they proclaimed him the Messiah, and no one believed him to be divine. The, the, the idea of a divine Messiah totally disappeared. Prior to Jesus, the rabbis in their writings on 
the Messiah? You can look at it. It's like a watershed. Clearly teach a divine Messiah. Following Jesus, you read the rabbis, and suddenly the Messiah is not divine. Do you understand the implications of that? They knew if they were going to say it was divine that they had to deal with Jesus, and so they denied the deity of the Messiah from that point on till today. They still deny it. All right? All right, let's... Uh, uh, a lot of verses here. Direct claims. This is where you wanted me to start. Where you wanted Bob to start. You are the Christ, Jesus said. The son of the living God. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. I mean, is there a more gutsy, sort of, you know, straight up claim of deity than this? My father who is in heaven, he revealed this to you that I am the son of God. That's not in John. High priest, I spoke of this, was questioning him, said, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed One? Jesus said, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. This is, this is the reality. Jesus, it, you can't deny that Jesus made these claims. And of course, you know, you know that Luther's, I mean, uh, C.S. Lewis's great little syllogism on this. He says, there's only three possibilities to deal with what Jesus actually claims of himself. Uh, one is, he's a lunatic, right? He's calling himself God, okay? The second is what? Liar. He's a liar, yeah. He's a liar, and he's, he's cynically using the Bible to establish himself, so he doesn't believe it. First one, he believes it. Second one, he doesn't. Or the third. He's telling the truth. He's telling the truth, right. And that's all you're left with. That, those three are really the only ways to deal with what Jesus says about himself. Either he's a lunatic or a liar, or he is the son of God. His people thought he was telling the truth. Now, if I wanted to ask you um, to find people to prove that I'm not the son of God, okay, where would you start looking for people to prove that I'm not divine. Cheryl. Yeah, you start with Cheryl. <laughs> you wouldn't go to, to someone in Japan, would you? you? You know, and the opinion of someone in Japan compared with my own kids would be pretty insignificant. And it's incredibly significant that Jesus' closest friends worshipped him as God. Incredibly significant. And that those who denied it are those who who hated him. And those who are living today like that Calvin Retzel guy in my seminary or my college, you know, you know, what does Calvin Retzel know compared with Matthew, Mark, you know, Luke, John, Paul? Now, not all of those were with Jesus, but Paul did. He met him. And, you know, Mark wrote the stories of those who had been with Jesus and Luke gathered them, but Matthew and John were right there. And his own brother, James, calls him God. You know, and you think, you think your brother is ever going to think you're a God? And even if you were a God, he'd hate you enough that he wouldn't say it, right? You know what I mean? No one likes a righteous guy. 
That's how righteous Jesus was. Even his brother called him God. It's great. All right. Thank you. It's been great being with you. You've been a wonderful, fun class to be with. And I hope that you remember this. This is, this is important stuff, especially those of you who are young. Remember, Jesus claimed to be God. He didn't. He wasn't shy about saying who he was. He wasn't proud, but he wasn't shy. Gabe, close us, would, I, would you? Thank you for listening to Truth in Life. If you enjoy this series, make sure to subscribe. And remember, this is truth to live by.